it's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horrible horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode, I delve into the world of terrible horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horrible movies. So if you made a horror movie on your phone or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. Now, what do you get when you take five British teens, an American girl, some angry carnies, and an island stuck at New Year's of 1959 while you get the film Bloody New Year? shit this thing's on oh hi everybody and welcome to another episode of the terrible terror podcast um yeah the music of this film right away i'm gonna say uh at least the licensed music i don't even know if it's fucking licensed music or not but i like it it's like 80s new wave uh the film came out in 87 so uh we're here it's rare that you can find a new year's based horror movie uh, I hope you guys enjoy the movies for December and for November especially. Uh, and this is a way, I guess, this is kind of the wrap-up episode, right? Because uh, New Year's is just in a couple days after this is being released. So, hey, I ever hope everybody has a happy New Year. Uh, doesn't drink a little too much, but, you know, have a little fun. Uh, and if the cops aren't called, it's not a good time. So, here we are. <laughs> I found something. Um, there was another movie I was going to look at that had to deal with, like, lesbian vampires, but, God, if I could even find the fucking movie at all. So, here we go, we've got Bloody New Year instead, which, okay, this movie is kind of a stretch, if you want to call it a New Year's horror movie, right? Because, really, it takes place on an island that's stuck in New Year's. I mean, of course, I'm going to be giving everything away anyway, but... You know, if you don't know what this movie is, that's the basis of the premise, right? So you've got a bunch of kids that are on an island that's stuck in New Year's. In fact, you actually start on New Year's Eve, and you see a bunch of people, they're all, like, hanging out, and it's all in black and white and everything. And so, that's kind of why I picked this movie. But it's not necessarily a New Year's movie. It's not like New Year's Evil, or... You know, Stupid Me did End of Days right after I did the last New Year's movie. Not thinking, huh, End of Days, it takes place on fucking New Year's. Oh, wait, I could have used that movie instead. So, fuck me, right? (laughs) Uh, But anyway, like I said, I hope you guys all enjoyed, especially the little Christmas bonus episode that we did. Uh, You know, that was a lot of fun. But here we are, end of the year, and let's talk about New Year's Evil. Now, there's not a whole lot, like, really to delve into. Again, this is a British horror film, uh, you know, though we do get one American in the film. 
Uh, it has a really nice runtime. It's about 129 minutes. I love it when movies run in that like 90 minute like block, especially when they're terrible, because then you don't have to worry about it. When it's terrible and it's like two and a half hours, and you're like, fuck me. Uh, why am I sitting through this? Like, if it's terrible, so terrible that it's fun and entertaining, then you're okay. But if it's one of those, like, 666, the demon child, where you just want to fucking shoot yourself and it's two and a half hours long, and you're like, fuck, I can't believe I'm doing this again, then, you, you know. But for this podcast, that's kind of the sweet spot. Plus, it makes the episode not so long, because <laughs> I don't have to do as many clips. But this is um, one of the rare ones where this is might even feel like some of the earlier ones where I didn't grab so much. Uh, but this has like a giant chunk in the middle of it of about 20 minutes where there's really not a whole lot going on other than like the chase, at least in terms of dialogue. So you guys aren't going to get as many clips in this episode, which, you know what, is a good thing every now and then. Maybe it's a nice way to switch things up. But um, why don't we just start getting into this bloody new year? So, and no, it's not the British slang version of bloody. It's meant to be really bloody new year. So, like I said, the way this movie starts off, you've got that really like cheery music that doesn't belong in the 50s as it's changing over to the 60s being played. It's really weird because you think they would play something that maybe matches it since it is the New Year's party that's going down, but instead we get 80s like New Wave playing on the background. And honestly, I'm kind of a fan of like British New Wave pop. Um, <laughs> that used to be like the alternative station. See, here's a little like history for the area that I'm in. There is a radio station today that no longer exists under its original name. It used to be called Live 105. And back when I was growing up, uh, Live 105 was like the station you would go to for like The Cure and like those bands, right? Depeche Mode, all those those fun, fun bands, but that's all they would play. And eventually they got out of it. Like even during the like big 90s wave, they would play some of the stuff, but it seems like, you know, how some like hard rock stations have mandatory Metallica. They would have mandatory The Cure. And so you'd have to get down with The Cure. <laughs> and one of my friends growing up, actually my sister's best friend, uh, she like was so in love with The Cure and she would always be on that station because they'd play all these like 80s and 90s like British New Wave type of bands uh, or whatever you want to call them. But it was like crazy growing up and this really kind of took me back to my childhood just flipping that on. I don't know even know who the fucking artist is, but I was like, oh, it's like listening to that station, how I'd like listen for a little bit and turn it off and then go to like what's the alternative like quote unquote metal slash station around here, which is still not true, but we're not going to get into that type of stuff anymore. Uh, so all these people that are around, it's all in black and white at this point, and they're all celebrating New Year's. And everybody's all excited, it seems like everybody's happy, there's a couple people maybe drunk too much, they're kind of slouched on the tables, and then one girl, she goes up to the mirror, she looks, and then all of a sudden, disappears. That's it. And we go to present day, where we're introduced to, like, our fabulous five, which is Tom, Rick, Janet, Leslie, and Spud. Uh, you're not going to be addicted to the spuds, okay? N not at all. And he's like groaning that, oh, I don't have a girlfriend or whatever, and I'm going to go find myself one. What? God. Like, they are stereotypical teens, 
But then it turns into like they're going down onto the fucking Santa Cruz Beach boardwalk here. I know it's in Europe, it's in England, but it really does remind me of the boardwalk down here in Santa Cruz, which was the basis for Lost Boys, right? Um, which right now I. <laughs> This is so terrible of me. I can't remember the fucking city that that was supposed to be. But it's where I went to school, which is always really cool because we'd always put the Lost Boys on. I don't know. I'm going to get off track because one day we'll talk about the Lost Boys and my association of, with that film. But it really felt like Kiefer Sutherland was just going to pop up. Like even the roller coaster, even though it's more of a metal roller coaster, it kind of reminded me of the Big Dipper down there. So you have them. They're all enjoying the fucking carnival. And... You know, it's just a fun day there on the beach. That was great! What about terrible? <laughs> Can we do it again? No, thanks. Twice is quite enough for me without a break. That's what he says every night. <laughs> wow, come on! Come on, Jan, let's go and see the fortune teller. She might find you a real man in her crystal ball. <laughs> Okay, are we really going to start questioning his manhood because he doesn't want to go to a roller coaster three times in a row? He's like, twice is good enough. They've already gone on the damn roller coaster twice. And that seat looks really not comfortable. I mean, you know the boardwalk industry, right? It's very unregulated. I mean, that thing could fly off at any moment. And he's just went on it twice. In fact, you know what? He's probably Superman because he actually went on that dap ride. It was probably shoving the seat right into his fucking ball sack. And you just get to sit there all, ha ah, I love this. Meanwhile, he's going, ow, my balls, ow, my balls, ow, my balls. And, like, he's worried about getting those two times at night that you're promising him right there in this moment. And then you're getting mad at him. Oh, well, that's what he said. He can't take it any more than twice. Uh, of course, I don't know if that's Leslie referring to Tom and calling Tom a fucking pussy. Or if that's <laughs> Leslie talking to fucking Rick, Janet's boyfriend. And Janet is the one that wants to go again. I'm glad I explained all the characters <laughs> before <laughs> I <laughs> went uh, forward there. But yeah, so Spud is out looking for his little thing. They're bitching at them because don't want to go on the roller coaster and then when she wants to go on like the ship you know you've seen those before they're the ships that go upside down uh and you've kind of strapped in over here there's one that's called the revolution um i hate those fucking rides because you get up there and then it's like oh we're gonna hang you upside down for a bit and then your shoulders fucking hurt and then you're too fucking fat so you feel like you're gonna start falling out of this okay Again, we'll get that <laughs> much, much later. But anyway, so Spud is there, and he's looking at one of those, like, tilt-a-whirl type of things. More like the teacups, but they go around in a circle at the same time, and it's, like, tilted. As you go around, you can spin the thing around. And then there's some, uh, carnahooligans, I guess we can call them. And they're basically... Uh, messing with this girl, Carol, and she's an American girl, and she's busy crying out for help. I mean, really crying out for help. Help! Help! And fucking Spud is just standing there watching them, like, I don't want to get my ass kicked. Oh, maybe I should... No, no. They have leather jackets. No, can't do that. I think they've got a Slayer patch on that one. Oh, no, no. I see my sugar nut patch on that one. I'm not going to touch them. Nope, nope, nope. Oh, Okay. Well, and then supposedly the operator of the fucking ride is also involved with these guys. Because he's just fucking letting them go, do whatever. And she's like, come on. Like, they're on either side, like, kind of spinning it. Won't let her get off. She just wants to get off the thing. Or they're, like, fucking with her because they know she's American. So eventually Tom and Rick both show up. 
And then Rick and Spud, where Tom just sits by on the fucking side, they go to help. And this happens to be Carol, um, who will join the group in just a bit. But they basically get everybody out of there. uh, And Tom pulls like a fuse. Because when they start to go after the two guys to stop them from messing with the girl, all of a sudden the carny like instructor, I know I say carny, but it's boardwalk guy, whatever. This is like a fucking carnival for what it is. It's the fucking fun fair. How generic of a name is that too? Fun fair? Like you couldn't have called it something else. You're right on the ocean. It is a goddamn boardwalk, but hey, maybe maybe it's a fair on the boardwalk. Maybe it is a carnival on the boardwalk. You know what they say about carnies. You should never fucking trust them. So they run after him. Tom goes under and pulls one of the fuses. And my initial thought is like, why the fuck is Tom going to be doing this? Like, why mess with the guy? Because it really feels like the operator comes out and he's really there to help Spud and Rick. Like, I don't see anything like he's going to help the other two guys. But Tom goes down and removes one of the fuses from the goddamn ride. Like, it makes no sense why he would even do that if it looks like the guy is coming to help them. But, lo and behold, he's actually, like, kind of a part of them, and they start chasing them around the carnival. Meanwhile, while they're being chased, we see that Leslie and Janet here, they visited a psychic. And the psychic kind of gives a little inkling into what's going to happen to them later in the film. I have a strong feeling suddenly that you should be told these things. Think about time like a river running forever. Don't tell Leslie about rivers. She hates water. Shh! Please, go on. When you stand beside the river, you only see a very small part of it. But if you go to a great height, then you can see more of the river. In my crystal, I can see more. Quick, let's get the wagon. we got trouble. Come on. So Rick grabs Janet and Leslie and leads them out. And then we see the psychic. She goes down, looks in her crystal ball, and screams really loud. And then we go into another chase sequence. So we got this weird, like, he, like, takes them out of there. And is like, look, we really got to be going because somebody's coming. I believe it's going to be Tom or it's Spud. I don't remember who's driving the goddamn truck. But he's bringing the truck with a boat. And the girls have gone on to that. But... Again, I think it's Tom and Rick get split off. Now, I don't remember. It could be Spud and Rick. It could be Spud and Tom. All I know is two of them get inside one of the like haunted houses to escape the three people that are now chasing them. Because, you know what? You fucked with the guy's thing. Now he's siding with the fucking hooligans instead of helping you out. And maybe he could have gotten the hooligans off the goddamn girl that was over there. But no, you took the fuse. And they start playing like hot potato with it, too. Like he chases after fucking... Uh, Rick, or, or Tom that has it, right? And then Tom passes it to Rick, and then Rick gets cornered and passes it back to Tom, but Tom loses it underneath something, and it's just stupid. <laughs> That's all I can say. It's like, why not just toss it far away and then run away? Maybe he'll get his fuse back, and he'll be fine. You only have two hooligans, rather than, you know, a fucking boardwalk carny, and now the two carnigans that are coming up... The cardigans? carnigans uh, that are coming after him so they go into a haunted house trying to escape and they're in there and they're like they do make a funny comedy it's like well this is the first time i'm ever going to be scared inside one of these which i thought was pretty funny uh and then so they're hiding in there and then the guy driving the truck um whichever one it is i think that it's spud that's actually driving the truck because i think with the hot potato type of play that's between rick and and Tom, and I think Spud went and got the truck instead. 
So Spud then takes the truck and drives it right through the like haunted house thing that's there, which is really fucked up. Like, why would you even do that? Like, okay, you want to get your friends? Why don't you just pull up to the side and let them get out and let them jump in? You could have done this. You know, what have the Duke boys gotten themselves into next? And they get into the truck and the Duke boys get away. That would have been perfectly fine. But no, you got to ruin somebody else's fucking carnival ride by driving your big-ass truck through it along with your big-ass, well, not really big-ass, your medium-ass boat going through the whole thing. It's so fucking ridiculous. And I honestly think I side on the side of the guys now that were harassing the girl. Because in the beginning... They really didn't do much. They stopped the girl. Okay, now you're trying to get away. But now you're going to destroy other people's property because some other carny whose property you destroyed is now chasing you? What the fuck is wrong with you? So, they bolt off. Uh, and then the carnies... And it's really funny because before they get in the haunted house... I forgot this part. Um... <laughs> They like it's like the fucking like like West Side Story. I'm about to think they're gonna start singing, you know, when you're a jet, you're a jet, you know, because they get over there and then they put these like gold chains down and wrap them around their fingers. Like it's almost going to be a Clockwork Orange here, but nobody's gonna have milk and nobody's gonna really do any ultra violence, right? They they just like put the chains down, wrap them around their hands, like oh now we're gonna chase after you, and then when they get on the car like they jump onto the sides of the boat and they are like fighting them off the sides of the boat and they're knocking them into shit and they finally just get away and that's when they get back out onto the water now enjoying the day and carol is very glad that they rescued her glad you decided to come along carol thanks leslie i'm really glad to be here my friends don't get in till tomorrow well you've made spud's day his friends never get here at all (laughs) (laughs) i'm just very choosy I've been saving myself for a gorgeous American girl to come along and look after her. That's what I do best. Yeah, well, what you do worst is steer in Rick's boat. You want me to take over? You never give up, do you, Tom? Ever since I was four years old and Rick gave me his old bike to play with, you've been chasing around behind me with a wrench and good advice. And ever since I was four, I've been listening to your rotten jokes and they don't improve with age. Shit, what was that? Carol, come on. I'm taking over. There's an island ahead. Could be hitting rocks. So he did happen to hit a couple rocks while he was, you know, steering his boat out there on the ocean or the lake, wherever the fuck they are. They're somewhere on the water and there's an island nearby and they do hit the rocks and creates a, you know, a little leak inside the bottom of the boat. They're not able to really cover it up. And so they all say, look, we're really close. We can basically just wade to the island if everybody just jumps off the boat. That's way, you know, they don't sink with it. And when they all dig out the boat, eventually the boat does capsize, and now they're stuck on the island. So from here, they start heading up the beach, because they figure out there's probably, like, houses or something on the main part of the island, at least someplace where they can find some type of shelter. And then the movie starts doing that thing that some horror films did back in, like, the 80s and 70s, where it's, like, the people, like, looking in. This has a really old-school feel to it. Like... The 80s, especially the late 80s, you know, slashers are around, and this really feels like an old... It really feels like it belongs in the 60s, honestly. It has that, like, oh, there's somebody watching them from the distance. And it kind of does some of the, like, Sam Raimi, like, follow them type of horror things that happen with the Evil Dead, which I actually liked. So there's... At times, there's very good camera work in this movie, and then there's times like this where it's like, ugh... 
This feels so overplayed and overdone. Oh, there's somebody maybe walking the distance. Oh, there's somebody watching over them, but we don't know who it is. And it's just, I don't know. It feels really cheap and crappy. So they walk along the beach, and then they see, like, a cow skull. And it freaks them out. Well, I think it freaks Leslie out. And then all of them are like, oh, yeah, that's just a dead cow. It's okay. And then they walk a little further, and there's barbed wire that they step through. And I'm like... Okay, so maybe cow skull. Okay, washes out to the shore. Maybe the cow got bored. It was hanging on the cliff. It decided, man, maybe the grass is really greener on the other side. So it jumped over the cliff. It killed itself. And then its skull washed up on the shore. Happens all the time. Come on, especially out here in California. And so, you know, but then the barbed wire, you start to think, huh, somebody might be trying to keep you out. Like, maybe you really shouldn't be going to where you're going. Eventually, they do see a hotel in the distance, the Island Hotel, and they decide to go inside where they can't find anybody, but the whole hotel is dressed up for the holidays. And by the holidays, I mean Christmas. Everything from top to bottom has, like, wreaths, and Santas are everywhere, and looks like it's also dressed for New Year's Eve. So, of course, they start making jokes about it all. What's going on? It's only July. A Merry Christmas. <laughs> and a Happy New Year to you. <laughs> yes, and the same to you. So where's my present? Must be some kind of gag. This stuff's all fresh. I think it's lovely. Hello? Anyone home? Hey, I wonder where they keep the mistletoe. <laughs> Look, you guys can stand around soaking wet if you want to, but I want to get warm and dry now. So Carol here kind of lives up to her name as an American bitch. Like, when I think of, like, the who wants to see a manager names, I think Carol, Karen, like, those are, like, the two tops that automatically be like, whatever. And she's like, I need to get out of this now. And it's really kind of messed up the way that she handles the whole situation. Uh, so they all decide to split up. Spud is going to go follow her. Uh, the two, Rick and Janet, they're going to go upstairs and see if they can find anything, maybe something to change into or whatever, because, you know, Janet, she wants to get out of the wet clothes as well. And then Tom and Leslie, they go right for the booze. Oh, useless. They've gone crazy. Look at this. They've been watching too many late-night movies. <laughs> well, I suppose we might as well have a drink. Mm. What can I get for you, madam? What have you got? Let's see. Ah! and get some lights on. Strange. Doesn't seem to be any power. It's an island. Maybe the supply's weird. What's the matter? There was a face at the window and then it was gone. So there's some random, like, zombie greaser outside. Like, it really feels like he's dressed like the 50s and, like, that old... Basically, it kind of looks like the Fonz is hanging outside the window, but then he disappears. Tom goes outside to see if anything's there. He comes back, he's like, no, I didn't see anybody, couldn't find anything. Maybe you just saw, like, a reflection or something. And so he goes back behind the bar and makes some brandy for both him and Leslie. We go over and we see what Spud and uh, Carol are now up to. And they're talking. Carol apologizes for being a bitch. She's like, look, I didn't mean to snap at you. It's just I didn't expect my day to go this way. So he recognizes that she's cold because he wants some of that American poontang. And he decides to go out and get her a blanket. But then all of a sudden, a random maid shows up. Now, this is the only character on the island that, like interacts with any of the characters at all during the movie 
there's one more. I say there's another character, but I don't consider him to be somebody that, like, talks. <laughs> okay? We see the other people, like the greasers and random party goers and stuff like that, but this is the only time you actually have a conversation with somebody from the island. Hello. We rang the bell when we came in. I hope you don't mind about the fire. I was so cold. Oh, that's all right, my dear. You rest here and make yourself comfortable. Have you seen any of my friends yet? Just slip out of your wet things and put this around you. Don't worry about the others. They've all been taken care of. Thank you very much. Yes, that's not foreboding at all. They're all being taken care of. And she's maybe trying to help out Spud here because she's like, go ahead and take off all your wet things. That includes your panties and just put this fucking blanket on and then Spud will be right back to see what's going on. So so I guess like, you know, the maid's a dude bro or something and just helping him out. Of course, she's also being very kind bringing the blanket over. But we know that something weird is going on, and maybe we don't expect anything, but it's hard when you know what the like theme of the movie is to be like, oh yeah, that is totally normal, and she's just a regular person that works there, yet we've been like given all these like hints and clues that something's not quite right about this island. So we come back, and we go upstairs, and we see that uh, Rick and Janet, they're busy, like, she's taking a bath, <laughs> and... Like, I was, I don't want to say I was all excited, but I was like, oh, hey, maybe we're going to get some of that famous British nudity I'm always hearing about. Let's watch. And then she happens to be wearing the most, like, perfect bubble vest that has ever been made from a bubble bath known to man. Like, literally, it is covering and clinging on perfectly well. In an American film, you know, it would be somebody in there with the bubbles, but the bubbles, like, wash off slowly, and then it would only stop at the nipple. So you got, like, boob, but you didn't get, like, full boob. But she's, like, wearing, like, a bubble vest. Like, this is straight up, she could probably get out of there, wear that for the rest of the night. Everybody would be like, man, that's really inventive and cool. How do you get it standing up there? Well, you see, I threw cornstarch inside the bubble bath, which made the bubbles really, really rigid, and now I can just wear it out wherever I want to go. Like, it's perfectly there. And then Rick, you know, there's like the scare factor. Rick suddenly pops up and puts his arms around her. And that, you know, gets them to start making out and then possibly screwing in the tub. Which, again, it cuts away from... Jesus Christ. Can I get any nudity in this movie? Come on. For being as boring as this movie is so far... Well, I mean, without the laughable little chasing in the beginning... You gotta give me something, you know? (laughs) Like, I'm waiting for something to show up. This is like an 80s movie. This is an 80s horror movie. Um, I'm Maybe I'm expecting too much from it. Maybe I shouldn't be expecting boobs in this type of film. I don't know. Maybe I should. Eh, we'll figure it out. So from here we cut over and we see that Spud is still looking for the blanket throughout the house. And he comes across like a dance hall room. Well he goes upstairs and he hears some music being played. And then there's like... It's like the Proclaimers are fucking playing on the stage or something like that. Like, this is before they started singing about 500 miles and how they would walk and got glasses and now turned to middle age. Like, this is when they were cute and had, like, the high hair and whatever. And they're just playing there on stage. They're singing. And then when he goes down there, they completely disappear. And while it does freak him out, he just goes ahead and goes back over to where Carol is. From here we go back upstairs and we join Rick and Janet and they're trying on some random clothes that are just left in one of the rooms that they're staying in and that's where Janet experiences something otherworldly. 
sure this is okay? All this stuff must belong to someone. Oh, don't worry, I'll settle up when we find them. There you go. Gotcha. I'm sure this is all fancy dress for parties. That would explain the Christmas stuff too. Special Christmas 50s weeks. They probably all go down to the beach and act out those beach party <laughs> movies. The guy's taking it in turns to be Frankie Avalon. I'd rather be here. All I need now is a caddy. You all right? You look as if you've seen a ghost. How about in a second? Mm. You look great, you know that. So that signals the second time that they're about to fuck. Now, if you remember correctly, he only fucks twice. So this is the last time we're ever going to see them do anything together. And we're not even still really going to see it at all. So who really cares if we're, like, led to believe? And she just literally got dressed. Like, she got dressed, and now you're going to, like... I guess you could, she doesn't have to take it off. But anyway, I digress. Like, she looks in the mirror to get everything ready... And then out of the corner of the mirror, she sees this girl in the background and she's wearing the same exact dress. So just like the Sixth Sense, she sees dead people wearing the same clothes that she's stealing from them because there's no way they're going to fucking pay this off. Like, what the hell's going to go on? Like, you're going to just leave money? Oh, I'm sorry I stole your clothes. Here's 50 quid and fuck off. You know, whatever it is. So they start getting all, he's getting all hot and heavy because she looks like a 1950s, like, you know, stereotypical woman, uh, and that really turns him on because he has a, you know, a male right complex, and he wants to make sure that his wife is pregnant and in the kitchen. So, of course, how she's dressed totally turns him on, and he's got to have her right there and then. We go ahead and cut away back to Spud because he's found the blanket and he's bringing it back to Carol. When he enters the room, he kind of knows what's going on and that something is really not right. Found one. Didn't you see the sweet little housemaid? There are people here. Oh, yeah. There are people here that just don't want to know us. If you ask me, this whole place is crazy. Everyone just wants to play games. Look, let's just find the others and get the hell out of here. We can't go anywhere without a boat. Now, everything Spud said is kind of true, right? Like, the fact of the matter is that the people that have he has seen they've all kind of disappeared and like even she says that the maid's there and nobody else has seen the maid before so he kind of just it's a weird type of joke that he makes because you know he's saying that well you know they're there but they don't want to see us at all it's also at this point in the film that i started playing the game of who's going to die first because, you know, eventually there things going to go down and maybe the ghosts are going to come out and they're going to start killing off people. And I thought, who is the most appropriate person to die? And if you think about it, it's relatively obvious. It's fucking Spud. Spud is going to be the first guy to go. I don't want to, like, spoil anything or whatever, but in the notes that I have, this is, the like, the order that I thought things were going to happen, okay? I thought Spud was going to die first. I thought then it was going to be Janet. I thought she was going to be number two. Then I thought Tom, right? So that you're left with Leslie and Rick and Carol. I thought Carol was going to be the ultimate survivor of the whole thing. Because she's American. They're going to kill all the British people off first. But it's just a matter of whether Leslie's going to survive or Rick is going to survive. I thought the most common thing that would happen in these types of films is that Rick would be the one to survive. Right? So he and Carol are going to be the last two. And then ultimately, it's going to be Carol that survives. 
just because she's the odd person out. She's not British. She's American. Even though maybe they would make it so that Rick survives. But when it comes to horror movies, how many times does the guy become the scream queen? Uh, well, that or the scream king. Uh, and actually survive the whole freaking movie. Like, all the way through. It's rare. And if he does, he usually survives with a woman. So, I'm thinking back to old school 80s. Even if they're trying to make this maybe emulate an old 60s or 70s horror film... Uh, then definitely it's going to be one of the girls that actually survives. And my choice here is Karen. But I really think the number one choice, you know, at this point in the film was going to be Spud. How he was going to die? Don't know. When he was going to die? I thought it was going to be pretty soon. Um, but, you know, we can keep going in the film and we'll find out when everybody fucking dies. So we see Leslie and Tom and they're trying to find the fuse box to turn on the power. They're not able to find where they are, but they do find a snooker table. Now, snooker is basically like pool. I think it's played a little differently, or it could be another name for pool. But basically, it's a fucking pool table to me. And possibly to you. I don't know. Maybe you like snooker, and you're going to tell me exactly what snooker is, and I'm not going to give a shit. So, uh, <laughs> so they're, they're there, and Leslie, she's like, you know, I wonder what it feels like. And Tom's like, what what feels like? Oh, to do it on a snooker table. And he's like... What do you mean about do it? You know, like, what the fuck of course do you mean? She means she wants you to fuck her on top of the pool table. There's nobody there. And he's like, oh, no, I can't do it. Like, you fucking prude, Tom. That's why, you know, you're never going to get the cute girl. You're going to be fucking stuck with Leslie all the time. And Leslie is trying to get you to get some right now. And you just won't. Like, there's some weird talk about, like, well, if Rick told you to do it, you'd do it. Like, Rick controls everything that he does, or he does everything for Rick. And I don't know if that's trying to be like, well, you know, you're more in love with Rick than you are with me type of situation. Or if it's like, you're in love, love with Rick. Like, she's making a hint that maybe he's gay for Rick. I don't know. It's just really fucking stupid the way that they do this stuff. So after refusing to fuck Leslie, they both decide to go downstairs and see if there are more fuse boxes down there. Or any fuse boxes so they can turn the power back on. When they go down there, she's still pretty upset at him that, you know, he doesn't want to do anything that she wants to do. And, like, he's on top of her, too, or she's on top of him at one point. Like, she tackles him and, like, tries to get him to get down and busy with him. Because we know that Janet and Rick have already had enough time to have it done twice. And then Spud, he's still just trying to get anywhere with an American girl. Like, he's just trying to, like, get her to touch the tip or something. Like, he's figured out a way, like, oh, I brought the blanket, and he put his penis through, like, the hole of his pants, and so when she goes to grab the blanket, she'll inadvertently touch his dick, and that's the only thing that he's gonna get out of this whole fucking adventure. And she wants to make sure that she at least gets to touch the tip of Tom's fucking dick and doesn't go away with nothing, right? And so... She jumps on top of him, starts trying to make out with him, but he totally rejects her, and that's why she gets mad at him. Like, oh, Rick does it. So he's like, come on, let's turn on the lights. Help me light this candle, because they don't have any flashlights. And she goes to light the candle, and then she just fucking throws the match behind her. Like, not looking to see where anything else is at. Doesn't matter if there's, like, flammable capes or curtains or what it happens to fall into, which is a box of fucking fireworks. So they turn on the power. They're actually able to find the fuse, and they turn on the whole generator and everything like that. And then they look in the corner, and the fireworks are just going fucking everywhere. And you know what the fireworks don't do? 
burn down the fucking hotel. Like, it's ridiculous. They go off for a good 30 seconds, maybe to a minute, probably on the lower end. But still, there are a lot of fucking fireworks in there. And there's little bottle rockets and there's other things. Like, they just stay contained with inside the fucking box. It makes no sense to me. Why do we have these fireworks here? Why do we show this, like, blowing up other than to spook them out? And we're not going to do anything? Like, they're still not going to worry about it? They're not going to try to put out any fires that it may have fucking started? No, we're just going to leave them here and that's it. It's okay. They're self-contained fireworks. They know exactly what they're doing. They're just going to go out on their own. So everybody else meets up all freaked out and everything. And they realize that the power's just been turned back on. Because a vacuum like chases Janet and Rick down a hallway that was originally plugged in. So it starts like, and going after them. And they're all like, oh my god, is this a madhouse? And then the Santa Claus starts playing down there. Which was really weird because they turned the power back on and then a random Santa started playing. Like one of those doll Santas that would walk, that take fucking batteries and just walk along the damn like table or whatever it is. Like that turns on. How does that turn on if it's fucking battery powered and Tom can just pick it up and fucking turn it off? Uh, I don't get it. Meanwhile, after they've all finished this, they're like, let's go upstairs and steal more clothes from these people because there's a ton upstairs and you guys might actually need to change and get out of the wet stuff that you guys are currently in. Especially you, Carol, because you just have a blanket wrapped around you and you got no pants on. So they go upstairs and in the background there's a TV playing and you get to hear a little bit about what's been going on behind the scenes during this time. From our ground outside broadcast unit showing the B-29 support plane which is monitoring the experimental aircraft, we should at any time be getting air-to-air pictures from this monitoring plane. In the meantime, back to the studio. Professor Captain. You were describing for us your experimental anti-radar device which you launched in the opening hours of 1960. Bending light, making the plane invisible. It's, it's interfering with light, with, with time itself. Plain God. Very, very dangerous. Please, gentlemen, I must ask you to control your eyeglass. If I could get a chance to say anything at all. Gentlemen, we're all scientists here and we don't enhance the image of our profession if we keep making outbursts. The public expects a balanced discussion. The public expects protection from us, not danger. Hey, Leslie, how about this? Oh, very new. Are there any small jeans in this pile? Might work myself. You keep your clothes on. I had enough trouble getting you into that lot. Well, well, well. Old age is creeping up on you, Rick. Janet offers to strip and you complain. Where's Carol? I think she's in the other room. Yes, Yes, well, we would appreciate pictures as soon as you have them. Well, there has been a slight delay in getting pictures from the monitoring plane. A small technical hitch that has been dealt with as quickly as possible. You see, in an experiment as ambitious as this one... This is one of my points, Look, why don't we all go downstairs and have a drink? Yeah, what a good idea, right? Okay, so we're learning about this experimental plane. So there's, like, two planes, and... There's one that is monitoring the experimental plane, and there's one that is the experimental plane. And what it can do, from what it sounds like, is that it can bend space and time so it looks fucking invisible. So it's basically like time warping around it. Hence why we were hearing about time warping earlier, and why this place seems to be stuck in this time. You can kind of start putting things together, but I'm going to get into it right now, because it's just... It's easier to talk about this shit. So... They lost track of the plane. Something happened. 
but they don't know where it is because they're expecting to get photos from the other plane and they don't get any photos whatsoever. So they all go downstairs and they meet up with Carol and Carol is now changed in one of the other patrons clothes. She's gone from wearing whatever like tracksuit type thing. I think she was just basically wearing jeans and a t-shirt pretty much into some random fucking dress that she found out there. And that's where she meets up with everybody and explains what a weird day she's been having. You know, you guys, this has got to be one of the craziest days of my life. When we just met in the fun fair, we crashed up a perfectly innocent ghost train, and now we're stuck in a time war. Where are they? Oh, Rick, do you think we are in a time war? No, we're not. Shh! We're facing a new... I can hear something. Voices. Definitely voices. Yeah, I can hear something. Yeah. Come on, let's go and check it out. Come on, turn You know, we saw something. Yeah, the right people, you know. Definitely, come on. Where are we going? It's been so long since Jeff left. It's one thing we didn't think of, the staff all in here watching movies. Put the bosses away, all right. So the place has a random, like, little movie theater that's been set up. Really tiny, like, maybe, you know, ten seats or something like in it. And it happens to be playing The Fiend Without a Face. It's really weird that they would play that in the background, like it's at the part where the brains have all of a sudden started attacking people, and they're killing them, so I'm not sure what exactly is going on and why we have that reference, but it's interesting that they chose this film to be like the one that's playing while they are still searching out for more stuff about the the mansion, especially trying to find the staff because nobody's been able to find anything. So the main party decides that they're going to go inside and start watching the film. That's Spud and Janet and Carol and Leslie and Tom. But Rick, he goes back into where the film is because he's very interested to see if anybody is actually controlling the projector back there. There's nobody back there, but he's busy watching it through the window that projects into the room. Uh, All of a sudden, the film itself stops and another film begins to, to start. And it happens to be a film about the island hotel that they're at. And so... Spud, he starts making fun of everything that's on the screen. Like, there's all these girls. He's like, oh yeah, Tom, you'd be totally into this girl because it's a blonde girl like Leslie. Uh, And then, you know, she starts hula hooping and he starts doing it too. He starts making it fun. Then all of a sudden, this guy jumps out from the movie and starts to strangle fucking Spud. And just like everything else that happens in this fucking movie, nobody has any fucking emotion when things like start going down. For the most part. I would say that Janet has some type of emotion some of the times, but mostly it's fucking crying and screaming and running away, which is fine. At least it's something. But like Leslie and them, again, when somebody needs help, none of these people want to fucking help. So they're basically watching him getting fucking strangled by this guy, probably a little bit in shock. I totally get it. You might be in shock seeing this guy getting done to him what's being done to him. But you would think that Tom would run over there and try to, like, bum-rush the guy. Oh my god, he's fucking killing my friend. I should do something about this. Instead, no, just watches it. To the point that the weird image thing, like, slashes his face and that's it. And then he disappears. Meanwhile, back inside the rec- the projector room, the tape... <laughs> the tape. But the... Well, I guess you could say it's the tape. But the film reel itself has wrapped itself around fucking Rick's legs and tripped him onto the ground, and that's it. Like, ooh, I'm the spooky projector. I'm going to trip you. Ooh. Like, what the fuck? 
why? Why would you do that unless you're gonna like actually like wrap him up and like hold him trapped or something? But he's able to break through the film reel just perfectly fine. There's no issues there. So what the fuck was the point of this? Like, it makes no sense. So Rick then goes into the other room, and everybody's trying to explain to him how exactly Spuds, you know, died. So he is the first one to die, so I was completely right about that from, you know, just from my notes. But I didn't realize he was dead. Like, I honestly did not realize he was dead, because literally the thing was choking him. It stopped. It fucking bitch-slapped him across the face with, like, a little scratch. He's got, like, a little bit of scratch, and then they're like... Spud's dead. I'm like, Spud's dead? How the fuck did he die? He fucking... That's not a fucking couch. He didn't get fucking pushed into it. That would be... This is now officially the weakest way somebody has died. They got cat scratched to death. Because that's all he did. He was just like a fucking cat. And like... Scratched his face. And then he was dead. I get it. He was choking him. And he probably killed him before that actually happened. But that's the last thing. And that's the last thing we know. And so they try to explain to Rick exactly how Spud died. What happened? It was a mistake. And I was a family. Because Spud... And then he flew up into the light. He's really dead. What's Jen on about? I know it sounds crazy, but it happened just like she said. I saw it happen and I still don't believe it. Jen! Janet! So he goes and chases Jen outside because she's trying to run away from the situation because she's actually upset about it. Meanwhile, Leslie, Tom, and Carol are just like, yeah, you know, what she said actually happened. He's He's dead. All right, time to party, yeah! Not gonna ruin my New Year's Eve uh, in July. (laughs) But it's seriously, like, they don't give a shit. The only one that really does is fucking Janet, who's, like, actually crying, even though she's, like, terribly crying. Like, her crying is not very good or convincing. Maybe that's why she had to run out of the scene, because she's like, my acting can only hold up so much. And then she ran away. (laughs) That'd be terrible if that was the real reason why. But she does run out of the room, and Rick does chase after her. Uh, Carol and Tom and Leslie, they all chase after her too, and we catch up when Rick catches up to her. Calm down. Come on, it's all right. <laughs> Spud must have had some sort of massive electric shock. That would explain the burns. You weren't there. You didn't see. It was horrible. I had a hell of a belt from that projector. Okay, so he had burns because he doesn't look like he has burns. He looks like he's got a couple of scratches on his face and that's it. And if he had burns in other spots that were around his neck, wouldn't you think that something else possibly happened to him? Like somebody was fucking choking him? And is it like an electric monster that came out because it came from the film? And that's the reason why he has those burns around his neck? I don't really know what the fuck is happening with here. And then there's an argument between Leslie and Tom. And Tom saying, or Leslie telling Tom, well, you saw it too, you know. Uh, And that's the point when they see a house in the distance and they decide, okay, we're going to go ahead and investigate and see what's going on here. They go inside and then all of a sudden, 
Leslie is attacked by the most scary and fucking fierce fucking creature in the entire movie. A fishnet. Yeah, a fishnet. We're on this for almost like a minute. Like she, she goes up to the door and she, anybody there? Anybody there? And nobody, of course, is answering. Then she's like, huh, she leans against the door. It opens or she opens it. I don't know. See, I really want to say, like, it looks like maybe it opens on its own. But then she's so close to it that it looks like maybe she's trying to open it, like, slowly. So that way she doesn't have to worry about scaring anybody that might be inside. Uh, I don't know which one happened, but it opens up. And then the fishnet, like, comes on top of her. And she's like, no, I can't escape. I can't escape. And it's actually kind of creepy because it does start, like... I'm expecting it to, like, get on top of her. I'm like, oh, crap, Leslie's the second one to die. And that really sucks. Like, it's going to completely, like, go through her skin because it looks like it's starting to. But eventually, Tom is able to actually save her by chopping at it. And so she goes around looking for, like, bandages or something to clean up all her wounds and make sure that everything's okay. And she goes over to a table, and we have actually, really, the most scariest fucking monster in the whole movie. And I can say it's a monster. It's the Table Swamp Monster. What? <laughs> what What the fuck is this thing? What? What is this? It literally, like, the tablecloth monster <laughs> rise up. And then it gets seaweed on it for some reason. Where the fuck did the seaweed come? from it's like a man with a cloth like he belongs like an old school ghost or he belongs as part of the blue man group but really he's just all green like it's green screen man but he's not really green screened he just it's so stupid this is the dumbest thing i think i've ever seen in any type of like crappy horror movie ever like i'm okay with bad monsters i'm okay with cheesy effects this is so dumb it is man i don't know what else to think because it's like it attacks her and then tom defends her and stops it from hurting her but eventually, like, he does, like, when he goes to stab it and deal the, the killing blow, it turns back into the table. And he's like, huh? And then he gets stabbed in the back and it cuts off to the next scene. And we see that Rick has caught up to Janet. Like, it looked like Janet was possibly going to maybe be killed off by herself. Like, she's going to be out in the middle of nowhere. But no, he catches up with her. He calms her down. And they start walking back. And as they're walking back, they hear nothing but laughter. And there's all this laughing that's going on. And it's just kind of freaking them out. And then we get the Sam Raimi cam. Like the Evil Dead cam where all of a sudden something's flying at them and they're dodging it. But they don't really know what it is. And they're not really freaking out. Like they're more freaking out of the fact that there's random laughter than something that's flying at them. Because they know that that fucking exists. And it's they're dodging something. But we don't get to see what it is. And they don't really have any reaction to what it is. Then we see a bunch of footprints that all of a sudden show up in the sand and the dirt. And they're like, oh my god, there's something here. And then there's something not. And I, I really have no idea what the fuck is going on. Uh, until the point that all of a sudden you start hearing plane noises in the distance. And then a plane crashes. There's a giant fucking explosion. And 
then they go over there, and I thought first it was the experimental plane, but no, this was the tracking plane, I believe, that actually was crashing, um, and the pilot, he just randomly, like, disappears. Like, they see him for, you see him for a second, and then he just disappears from here. After we see this, we cut over to Carol, and Carol sees the maid, and she decides to follow after her, because maybe the maid can help them with something, because they really do need to get off this goddamn island. So she follows the maid into this building, and originally, like, she also can't get into it, but then she does. And then she, like, it's kind of creepy and eerie, and this is probably one of the better parts of the film. Like, I actually really like this sequence. Because she's walking through, and yeah, it's a little cheesy at times, but she's going in there, and then eventually she opens up a door, which is like, has a blizzard going on behind it. And the blizzard starts filling up the room, and then she's just getting covered with more and more snow as she's trying to find a way out of the place because she can't. And eventually, it's it's a little silly, I admit, because she should be able to go over there and just close the fucking door. But all of a sudden, everything stops. She's outside the house looking in, and when she looks in, she sees a snow globe, and it's her inside of the snow globe with all the little snow things going all over the place. Like, I really liked that like little sequence like i think it's shot relatively well i think it's interesting it's a like i said silly but i like the way that it ends but does it hold any merit for the rest of the movie like why either that or there's just it's again it's weird things that are just going on on this island that are stuck in different places and then all of a sudden they stop and that seems to be like a regular thing with everything that goes on like all these crazy weird things and then they just randomly stop and then everything's like normal and we continue on with the movie. And, and it's really like a rough stop too. It's like a really hard cut and hard edit. It's, oh my god, you know, it, it just imagine that, you know, you're being chased around. Uh, and this is Nightmare on Elm Street. And you're in your dream and Freddy Krueger is coming after you. And he's throwing, you know, fucking syringes and weird wizard kids. And he's about to slash you and slash, or he does like slash a piece of your stomach. And then, stop, everything is back to normal. But you're still stuck where you are. You're still in the dream. Like... Freddy's no longer doing anything to you, but you're not out of the situation that you're in. And that's the way all of these little, like, vignettes kind of work. To where they're downstairs, like, when he goes to stab the table man, <laughs> and all of a sudden it does, it stops, and then it's a table. And he's stabbing the table, and he's like, huh? And it's the same thing with, like, the the pilot. They, they get over to that point, and then it stops, and it cuts over to Carol. So it's it's interesting that they do that. I don't like all of it, but this is probably the, my favorite out of all of them. So Carol runs back to the area that everybody was supposed to meet at, and Rick and Janet, they also pop back up. Leslie comes over and she says that Tom needs help. And they all decide to follow her to the house that Leslie and Tom were in where they were fighting Table Man. And so there's a door that leads out, and she's like, he's through there. Rick goes over the door, then all of a sudden it opens up, and it leads off into a cliff. And so he grabs the edge of it. They all grab Rick, and they pull him in. And after they pull him in, then all of a sudden the front door opens up, and who is it? It's the owner of the goddamn ride. How the fuck did he know where they were at? How the hell did he follow them all the way over here? 
where we see nothing. It's a surprise that he's even here. It makes no sense. Like, how did this even show up? But he's got his fucking gold chain around his fucking hand. And so he's going to attack Rick. And he goes and he attacks Rick. Rick dodges. And eventually they're trying to run out and they're trying to grab Leslie. Come on, let's get out. And the carny guy grabs Leslie. And the first like really kind of gory thing that happens in this film happens where he punches through her stomach all the way out the other side and we see her him go through it and like have a bloody hand on the other side and then she just looks at him and smiles and her face turns into like a zombie face like it becomes half like gray and kind of ashen and then she just throws him through a fucking wall like where the fuck did this? So she's obviously now a part of whatever the island is and she's fucking dead. But again, where did the fuck did the carnival people come from? And how do they figure out this is where they fucking went? Like, did they spend time, like, going around to different islands? Are they on this one? Nope. This has, you know, fucking werewolves on it. It's not that one. Oh, they're not on Vampire Island. So let's not go over there. Oh, they must be on Ghost New Year's Island. Okay, that's got to be the one because that's one of the three that's in the area. Plus, I don't want to go to fucking, you know, Mermaid Lesbian Island because fuck those people. They're like just there to fucking eat your soul and leave you to fucking die. Okay, you think mermaids are cool? Mermaids are not fucking cool. So... Why did it have to be a lesbian island? I don't fucking know. So Janet is still trying to run away, and she doesn't want to go back to the hotel at all. They go over to the where the beach and the cliffs are overlooking the beach, and eventually they decide that they got to stay together. This is a nightmare. Just awful. I can't believe what's happening. I see things and I just can't believe them. and be very quiet and then they'll leave us alone you must be crazy to think that'll happen whatever's out there won't let anyone go you can't swim that far you drown for sure we've got to hang on together it's our only chance at least we've got a better chance than the others we know there's something wrong so there's a couple things. There's one thing that I totally forgotten is how they got away from zombie fucking Leslie. And that was by using her worst enemy, the fishnet. Covering her with that and then throwing a fucking a flare inside of there. And then that's how they got away. Now here, Rick is fucked up. Because he's like, we have it better than them. Because we know something is wrong. Like, you have it better than your friends that are fucking dead. You've got at least three fucking friends that you think, right? Because we don't know what the fuck happened with Tom. So let's assume Tom is dead. Okay? You know Spud is fucking dead. And you know Leslie is fucking dead. So, what the hell? Everything is so wrong with the statement. Like, we're better off than dead. We're alive. (laughs) You know? Messed up. Uh, then over with uh, on the cliff as they're getting ready to like stay, all of a sudden rocks start falling from the place, and they have to run back over to the hotel to find at least some type of shelter uh, to escape whatever the fuck might actually be going on because they believe that the other fucking carnies might be on the island fucking going after them. So they go to the hotel, they lock up the front door, they manage to realize that hey, we also need to lock up the back door to protect themselves, and then they meet back in the foyer, and Janet wonders if they'll ever get out of there. You've been really kind. I feel as I'm going crazy. I know, I know. Do you think we'll ever get away from this island? Of course we will. 
Josh. Upstairs. I'll check the windows. I'll check downstairs. Don't even hear my own. So they decide to go around the place and make sure that everything is locked up and that, you know, scary Leslie, she can't get into the damn place anymore. From here, we follow Carol and Janet upstairs and they're making sure that everything is locked up. Uh, Janet wonders if Carol is missing anything and all of a sudden weird things start going on. What's the matter? Can you see something? No. No, it's all right. What do we do next, Carol? What do we do next? I don't know. But I'll think of something. So she's able to turn off the caveman rock, which, I don't know, it kind of has a nice beat and nice little dancey type of rhythm to it. And then all of a sudden, one of the carnies show up. Now, before when she was closing up the windows, the thing that was freaking out Janet was that there was a swing outside with nobody in it. But of course, it was swinging. It's not very scary at all, to be honest. But yes, another one of the carny guys show up and starts chasing them down the hallway. While it's chasing them, Leslie, zombie Leslie, shows up, grabs him by the head, and turns around his head about three or four different times, ultimately killing the other carny. They run downstairs, and before Janet can get away, one of the banisters actually grabs her arm. And it's like the hotel is actually alive now, and is holding her hostage. Carol tries to fight back, but she's not really able to get Janet off. Leslie's coming down, and that's when Rick shows up around the stairs and has a random shotgun that he found somewhere and starts unloading shots into Leslie. The first shot does nothing to face her. The second shot knocks her down. He runs down there, and then he uses the butt of the shotgun to take off Leslie's arm, like, like, boom, got her off, and then they cut her loose from the rest of the house. When they do that, the, uh, I should say hotel, not house, but the hotel screams in agony when they actually cut the piece off and they run out of the room. Now that they think that they've stopped everything from happening for at least the time being, since they've knocked out Leslie or killed her, they begin to realize that there's something majorly wrong with this place. At least Janet is finally putting a little bit of two and two together. She worries that, you know, if something happens to them, that they're going to get into the state that Leslie got into. And she tells Rick that, you know, if anything were to actually happen to her, make sure that you don't do anything to me. Like, don't hurt me because I wouldn't hurt you. And they also realize that there might be a way off this island. Rick, promise me something. If anything happens, if they get us... They won't get us. Don't worry. No, listen, Rick. If we become like Leslie... We won't. We don't know that anymore. If we do, please promise not to attack me. I'd never attack you. Those guys at the fun fair. They must have had a boat. Why didn't we think of that before? Come on. Yeah, how did these guys actually get onto the island to follow us anyway? There's no other way. It's an island in the middle of water. How could they have gotten out here? I mean, I just don't fucking know because I'm a fucking idiot. Like, seriously, you didn't think that they were both that just randomly fucking showed up on the island? So they go to leave the hotel, and when they do, a familiar face comes knocking at the door. Tom, it's Leslie. 
Tom, can you hear me? Be careful. Be careful. Leslie. Leslie. Those funfair guys are here. We're going to try and find their boat. Can you make it down to the beach if we help you? Let's warn the others. Warn Janet. Janet. Tom, do you understand? I'll stay here with Tom. Just find the boat and come back to us. The quicker we go, the quicker we'll be back for them. Rick, you will come back. As soon as we find it. Just rest, both of you. So Rick and Carol at this point decide that they're going to be the ones going out there trying to find the boat. And they do make it to the shore and they do see that, hey, there is a boat out there. But they get distracted by some noises and they actually end up in a, an area where the experimental plane actually, like, crashed. So we actually get to see pieces of the plane ever because you start hearing, like, radio call from the black box. And while they're looking around, you know, again, it, this thing has a weird thing with, like, mirrors and mirrors showing the truth like of what's around them because carol starts looking to a mirror like she grabs it from the wreckage and then looks at like oh hey look look how cute i am look i look great don't i look great in this mirror this is fucking fantastic and then all of a sudden the pilot from the plane like is there behind her and is looking at her and he's pointing at her and rick he goes to get the gun to shoot the poor guy but then all of a sudden it goes to this really terrible mannequin close-up it is terrible i mean Come on, I understand. Maybe you don't have the budget or whatever. And you want to do this really cool part. And the cool part is the head exploding. Yeah, we're going to get a head explosion, but it looks so damn terrible. But so the poor pilot guy, he explodes into dust and then it just vanishes. Again, it's just like, stop. That's it. This is all the crazy stuff and we're done here. Now we're just going to totally get rid of everything and we're going to move forward. So while they're out there, they see the boat, they realize it's there, and they're going to start heading back to the hotel to go get Tom and Janet. All of a sudden, something happens with Tom that isn't quite, uh, let's say, expected. To rest. The others will find that boat and come back. We'll be away before it gets dark. So nice, Jan. So kind. So soothing. I've always liked you, Jan. I always liked you the best. You were Rick's girl. Rick's the leader. The rich boy. So he gets the best girls. No. No, not you too. So, of course, Tom starts trying to go after Janet and kill Janet. Like, who didn't see that fucking coming? Like, you haven't seen him for a while... Leslie's evil, she's out there, then all of a sudden, Tom just randomly shows back up, and he's like, gotta warn about Leslie, gotta warn about Leslie, gotta warn about, oh, or him says and I'm going to come and kill you, like, come on, <laughs> this is really fucking dumb, so he chases her around, uh, he almost grabs her, and then she's able to run away. And the thing is, is that she, like, put all this stuff up on the in the door to protect herself so nothing could come in. And, of course, that doesn't let anything out either. She could have jumped out the window. I get that. But she decided to, like, she can move all that ship really, really fucking easily. Like, it took her forever to get the stuff up there. Then, oh, no, I can just slide a couple things. This is like fucking chud. Anyway, so she's able to get through there. And get out before Tom is. And she manages to get inside one of the elevators. And like I guess chop Tom's fingers off. To the point that he falls down. 
and then she's stuck in the elevator. Then all of a sudden, like a Freddy Krueger dream or something out of Nightmare on Elm Street, the elevator starts coming alive and it starts grabbing her through the walls and starts pulling her in. By the time that Rick and Carol get there, Rick gets to the elevator, sees Tom's corpse, calls down the elevator, and then sees the last bit of Carol as she is enveloped into the elevator itself. He sits there like a crybaby, and we see the last of the hooligans coming down the hallways chasing them to basically get their revenge. I guess because now we've got two dead ones, we need a third dead one, because we want to make sure that all of those guys are dead too. So, they run away... Uh, Carol manages to get, make sure that he gets off the ground because, like I said, he's sitting there just crying, oh, poor Janet, and so she doesn't want to die, she doesn't want him to die because she needs his strong hands, and hey, I'm down to the last two that are actually right, and Janet actually died before Tom did, but I guess you could say Tom died way back in the time, so I was kind of wrong about the order, but At least I know who the last two were going to be. So they're trying to get outside of the hotel, and then all of a sudden you hear Janet's voice, and she starts calling out to Rick, and Carol's telling him, no, 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 and that's where we actually get a lot of explanation of what's gone on in the movie. Rick, please don't listen, please. It's only a trap. Tell me, Rick. Rick. Jan. Rick, I need you. Don't leave. us for? What have you done with Leslie and the others? Now, dancers, no interruptions from the floor. There was an experiment. An experiment that went terribly wrong. The government in Melbourne sent up a plane on New Year's Eve. A plane carrying a device that could change the structure of time and matter. This device could shatter time itself. And the pilot crashed the plane. Here. Here on Grand Island and lock us in time forever. Dead. Or alive. We are all caught in this awful, angry half-world. And we can't escape. Ever. 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 I'm expecting her to start saying forever. Forever. So basically this plane came, it was a science experiment gone wrong, it crashed, it left this island now in a time warp, and they're constantly stuck on New Year's of 1959, and whoever gets on the island is also going to be stuck there too. I guess maybe if they get killed. So they managed to get out, 
Uh, there is a really funny scene when they go into one room and he locks the door, Rick does, and Carol looks up, what the fuck is locking the door going to do? And he's like, look, I have to do something. Uh, I really like that little scene, and that's where Spud, you find out he's back, and he starts attacking uh, Carol there, but Rick is able to get a pool cue and smash it over his head, uh, stopping his advancements. So then all of a sudden, like, they go through a kitchen as well that starts, like, attacking him. And again, it's that weird thing of it just, all of a sudden there's this crazy thing with pots overboiling. The last carny guy comes in, gets thrown into a boiling pot, and he, that's how he dies. Knives flying everywhere, kitchen shit, then nothing. Everything's perfectly fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with the kitchen, and they're just able to get out of there. So, those weird pops are like the time warp resetting itself. That's what I'm assuming is what's going on. So, they get to those situations, like, almost all the time. So, the next scene that they go into when they actually, he goes and locks the door, they're in the pool hall, and, again, the weird things are happening. Then, all the, like, guests that were at that New Year's Eve party come out and start saying, you know, like, basically, one of us, one of us. Goobble, gobble, goob. No, not that necessarily that. But that's basically what they're saying. Like, you can't get away. Don't run from us. You're stuck here with us. You'll always be here with us. And so eventually they do get away because the uh, a pool table comes flying at them and they jump on the pool table and get flung out the window. And then they're outside and everything's fine. Again, everything's fine. So they run to the beach. And they're going to get on the boat, and they're going to get away. The two of them are going to totally escape the island. They're going to, as long as they stay together, they're going to be fine. Then all of a sudden, Janet is there at the beach calling towards Rick. Rick! Rick! Help me, Rick! Help me, Rick! And he can't get away from that punani, so he decides to dump Carol on the boat and get back onto the beach. And when he does, uh, she's, you know, Carol's calling, No, you need to come with me, because this is the only way we're going to get out. And... Lo and behold, he falls into a quicksand trap, similar to one that Janet almost got stuck in at the beginning of the film, not beginning of the film, but about the middle of the film, where she was rescued by Carol and Rick, Uh, but he can't escape it because he doesn't have any help to get out of there, and so he sinks into the sand, she tries to go off in the boat, but the boat ends up capsizing and she gets swallowed by the water, and then we are back in like kind of the beginning of the film where we see that the, everybody's dancing for New Year's and getting ready. And then we slowly pan over to the mirror. We see Janet locked in the mirror and the film itself ends. Yeah. 
And so that was <laughs> Bloody New Year. I mean, I don't know really to think of this film because it's it's okay. I mean, it's not very scary. It's cheesy in a lot of the places of the film. Um, I think that there could have been you know better ways to kind of do everything. Um, it really did feel like an old school like 60s maybe 70s horror and maybe that's why we got the the film in the middle because they were trying to be like look see we're kind of like this we're not like those slashers and stuff though they tried to have some like gory scenes but they really weren't that gory i mean everything was just kind of you know okay it had some really fucking ridiculous moments in it uh you know table man <laughs> That, that was probably the most egregious thing. And even the scene in the ping pong, or not the ping pong room, but the pull hall towards the end, and like ping pong balls are flying at them. Like they're fucking, ooh, evil ping pong balls. Like, But there were like a couple of good scenes. I like the towel time warp thing. I like the fact that things just kind of reset itself. And that's just kind of the way that it went. Like everything went crazy only for a specific time where the two worlds met. So maybe the people in the 50s are always stuck there and then they get like a little winkling into the current day and then they're sucked right back into where they were and that's where everything is normal and fine. So like, I kind of like that, you know, along with it too. So it's just an overall film. It's available right now on freaking YouTube. You can go on YouTube, you can watch the whole movie. Um, It's entertaining. Like, maybe you could make it, you don't necessarily, you didn't need to watch it for this, if you felt like you needed to, you could always go back and watch it and just see what kind of things I missed. Maybe because there really isn't a whole lot of like dialogue, like important dialogue clips. It'll be like two seconds of dialogue, and then it's like, oh yeah, you know, oh Tom, you saw what happened. Okay, and then we're just moving on to the next scene. Like it's like little things like that. So they don't really make for compelling parts, but. The ones that do are, you know, they're worthwhile. So that's why it kind of ended up like this. But overall, maybe I should say what I'd give the film. So in terms of the gore, it's like a, I'd say I'd give it a two, two out of five. Because it does have the hand-punching scene. You see a little bit of the blood and the head-exploding scene, even though it's kind of cheesy. But that's really it. There's nothing else that really happens there. You know, Leslie loses an arm, but it's so terrible it looks like it's just like fluff and shit coming off it's like if you tore the arm off of a fucking teddy bear that's exactly what it looks like uh crap factor this is a four out of five it's just it's really cheesy i mean it's low budget that's all i can really say the acting's really stiff it sucks that the characters really don't show a whole lot of emotion when anything fucking happens i mean like i said when spud kicks the bucket like Everybody else just kind of like, oh, Spud's dead. And only Janet shows any type of emotion. So that's why I would give it a, like a four out of five. It's pretty craptastic. The fun factor, uh, I'd say it's around a three. It's actually kind of a middle ground. Because like I said, there's some really well shot scenes. There's some terribly shot scenes. And that fucking fight with the table guy is fucking hilarious. And it's worth like maybe just to see that clip alone and how that pays out. And even when she gets attacked by the fucking fishnet, like... That's pretty goddamn funny at the same time. Uh, the cargo net, I should say, maybe. Uh, so, it, the fun factor is kind of around there. So, what would I give this out of, you know, for an overall grade? Uh, I would give this, like... Uh, I'm not going to be generous on this one. I'm going to give it a 2 out of 5 fishnets. Uh, killer fishnets. Um, 
because even though I could probably have a little more fun, I could probably boost this up to a three, but I just really felt like the middle portion of it was a chore. Like, I really felt like it was getting to be a little longer than it actually was, and I was glad, but there was a point, I think, where I even paused the movie and did stuff for like a half an hour because I was just fucking bored with the movie. It just gets boring right in in like the parts that shouldn't be boring it's boring and the parts that it's not boring you know it's like what's the point like except for the ending part like the beginning part it's not really that boring because i thought it was going to go somewhere different and then it turns out no this is where you're going oh this is kind of shitty so you know i like the theme of it i like the idea behind it um there's some really good shots but i just can't get behind this film altogether like it's not it's not fun enough for me to be like, oh, I'm going to recommend this film to a bunch of people. So, Well, with that being said, um, January is going to be right around the corner. And there is a release next month that I am very excited to see. And so I thought, why not? Let's prepare ourselves for the release of that film. And that film happens to be Glass. Uh, and for those that you don't know like anything about that and have not seen Split or Unbreakable... Um, we're going to be doing both of those movies in January. So we're going to prepare for Glass by watching both of those films and by going through both of those films. They're not necessarily so much horror as they are thriller. I would definitely put uh, Split more and more on the thriller. More and more. <laughs> that's dumb. Uh, but that's definitely more of a thriller than uh, Unbreakable is. But Unbreakable has its moments in it. So... This is more or less like a, I want to do these types of films because I want to talk about them. Which, you know, I understand. We're called the Terrible Terror Podcast. We have we've done a lot of terrible horror movies. But every once in a while, I want to talk about something that I want to talk about. And I'm really fucking excited for Glass. Which I would put in that realm of, like, thriller, maybe minor horror. And it's probably the best set of films that I think M. Night Shyamalan has done. And this was the movie right after... Uh, the Sixth Sense came out, which shocked a lot of people, and so everybody was excited to see what our next movie is going to be, see what Unbreakable was all about. Hi. You're in the emergency room in the Philadelphia City Hospital. some questions. Where are you sitting on the train? Against the window. In the passenger car? Yes. You're certain you were in the passenger car? Yeah. Where are the other passengers? second train collided with yours after it derailed. The debris spread over one mile. Why are you looking at me like that? There are two reasons why I'm looking at you like this. One, because it seems you are the only survivor of this train wreck. And two, you don't have a scratch on you. 
I know what's going through your mind right now. You're searching for meaning in all of this. No one thing. 131 people died so you could finally understand the destiny for which you were born. Are you ready for the truth? So for the next film, we are going to look at Unbreakable. Now, like I said, this was the follow-up to The Sixth Sense, so everybody was kind of wondering what he was going to do. And I'm not really going to give anything away, but it's hard when you've got two other films out there that kind of, well, at least one in a trailer that's very popular right now that kind of gives away a little bit of what Unbreakable is about. Um, For those that have not seen you know, the trailer for Glass, um, and you want to be surprised, stay away. But we will be going through, or I guess I will be going through both of these films, and um, it should be a blast. Uh, I really, I, the one that's going to be, if does it hold up for me, is going to be Unbreakable. I've only seen it twice. I've seen it when it first came out in the theaters, and then I saw it a couple, maybe a year later when it came out on DVD. Remember back in those days when movies wouldn't come out in like three months? It'd take a year before you get a movie out? Well, you know, that's when I remember seeing Unbreakable again, and I liked it even then. Uh, So it's going to be like kind of a weird thing for me to go through and see if it still holds up. Split. I absolutely loved, and it surprised the living shit on me. So Split will be the second movie of January. This is, um, you know, spoiler, but I have to say that I'm doing both movies. I, I feel like I have to, at least. So, um, if you've never seen any of those films, uh, please try to see them before you listen to the podcast. Um, I really, really, really encourage that you do go out there and you watch both of those films. So, with that being said, um... I thank you guys very much. This has been a very fun year for me. I've done a lot of different uh, episodes, a lot of different styles. I have uh, met a lot of different podcast friends that, you know, I hadn't really met before. And I'd like to believe a lot more next year. And so I thank you guys for checking out the podcast on things like Spotify and Spreaker and Apple Podcasts. Make sure that you go out there and you leave a review because it really helps the podcast be seen. Uh, and also be heard Um, check out our Facebook page Travel Terror Podcast on Facebook make sure to go to T underscore T underscore podcast on Twitter to follow me on Twitter Uh, you can also go to Podchaser and you can follow and uh, check out all of our stuff there that's like the IMDV uh, podcasts Um, and with that being said we'll see you next time for Unbreakable